book machine learning. So I uh, created my website and listensoftware.com, and you can go to it, and you can ask a question to Louise, GPT-3 AI, and I asked a question the other day, which was, why should I exercise? And GPT-3 gave me an answer that was pretty good. It said, there's four reasons why I should exercise two of which it was able to display, but because I have the temperature at 0.7 and the maximum tokens at 300, I didn't get to see the full answer. But the first two answers, the two, first two reasons were, number one, because it uh, will make you feel better, and number two is it just gave a list of, uh, of different chemicals the body releases when it exercises, which are healthy for your body. And uh, then I started thinking about it this morning, about what three and four could be. And three would probably be um, something relating to medical, meaning that you could reduce your chances of heart attack, cancer, and obesity. So there was a book called 10% Solution, which Kurzweil wrote. Ray Kurzweil, and he states in that book that you can eat meat, uh, but 10 only 10% of your diet can be that. So he's not anti-meat, he's just don't eat it in excess. And one of the things that, uh, and the fourth plank would be for social reasons, uh, community, because going to work out is is a social event and uh, that could be like things like in VR having a bike race against your fellow uh, workout people and so there's an idea of a community, a network a, a social experience. Okay so going back to number three word of wisdom my wife and I, we're starting to focus on uh, reducing the amount of meat that we're eating and eating more vegetables and fruits and trying to eat foods like brown rice, uh, kini, I'm not even sure how to say that, and uh, carrots, vegetables, asparagus, broccoli, and these are high in fiber real good for you if you're uh, 50 to 60 years of age, which most of you are in your 20s, but I guarantee you by the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you'll, you'll definitely have a major transformation in the way you eat, the foods you eat. And, uh, and I would like to lose about 30 pounds to get in my body mass index, which uh, for my height should be about 30 pounds less. And that's a really good condition to be in, healthy, not, not overweight, eating properly, and you're no, reducing the risk of uh, heart disease, cancer, and obesity. And one of the things that the Word of Wisdom teaches is that it's a principle with a promise. And so if you, if you follow the principles of good health, then the promise is that 
you can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. I used to always think about that phrase when I was a kid and I was out running uh, long distance, is that if I ate well the proper foods, that I could run faster and longer and that I wouldn't faint. And th th those were those were things that I like to think about. And I read about how a young man who was at war, World War II, he had to run from one place to another and deliver a message. And he remembered that principle of the promise, and he was able to run that distance. Uh, he was a farm kid, and he had was in good shape. But because of his health behavior, uh, he was able to run that distance. And I always liked that story growing up that uh, that I could run that distance and be healthy and and be strong. The other thing is that there are certain health laws, and those health laws can be discovered chemically and by uh, molecular through molecular biology. And I was talking to a colleague, and he was telling me about how the that certain sequences in the gene can actually change when you eat lots of meat. And it doesn't necessarily correlate or is not the causation of cancer, but in the 10% solution, he shows that when you're in the high glycemic index foods that taste good and you're eating lots of, uh, of uh, fats, and high cholesterol, that those are environments that cancer does really well in. And in fact, cancer thrives on cholesterol. And it doesn't, cholesterol is not the cause of it, but, but patients that have large amounts of cholesterol in their blood, when they get cancer, the cancer feeds on that cholesterol. And uh, so, it's an interesting correlation there. Maybe it doesn't cause cancer, but it definitely uh, helps cancer thrive. And cancer is one of those diseases, I guess you could call it a disease or a sickness, that uh, cost you a million dollars a year to go through in terms of chemotherapy therapy to kill the cancer. Now, would better technologies uh, technologies like that have been utilized in stem cell where they're now learning how to deliver the medicine, the, the chemotherapy medicine to the cancerous cells, vectors that bind to the, the vec, uh, to the cancerous cells and then have a higher percentage of killing those cancer cells. Um, it's really exciting in the sense that maybe we can have your survive if you have cancer your survival rates go up and those are always good positive benefits and um, I do remember reading a book that said if you live to be 65 you have an 85 percent chance of living to 100 so you know we're going to live longer and that's because we have better medicine we have better knowledge and every year we're getting more knowledge and we're starting, the paradox is how to bring that technology and that knowledge closer to home. So rather than have to go to a doctor's office to figure out 
a disease diagnosis, you could get the diagnosis at home and then uh, find out through um, expert systems, AI systems, what might be a possible remedy for that. Now, as I've stated before, if AI is achieves a higher percentage of accuracy on the diagnosis and on the remedy for different diseases than physical doctors, then that type of world will become more automated. And I, and I really feel like that that's a possibility because of the structure of medicine. It's very structured, it's very classified, it has well-defined definitions, behaviors, um, characteristics, and so if we get more devices that are cheaper that can provide information gathering and then feed that information to a neural net on the network, then accuracy is going to go up. And so there will be a larger number of companies that will provide subscriptions to AI diagnostics, medical diagnostics, and remedies. And, and for that reason, the healthcare industry is due for a major innovation because um, it's largely funded by government through Medicare, Medicaid, um, and those social programs are, are somewhat broken. And I would like to see more innovation in the healthcare because that's where people are concerned. The number one concern when you when you take a job is do you have health care insurance, even higher than retirement, because you can live on Social Security, it's be difficult, but you can, but without health care, how can you afford any medical treatment? It's so expensive. And so by using AI to get that level of accuracy that we need in the medical industry and to have broad range capabilities, not only you know, not in an isolated area like colds and flus, but digestive tract, uh, cancers, oncology, which uh, uh, childbirth, etc., uh, depression. We've talked about the, the uh, virtual psychotherapist using GPT-3 to help the individual um, talk and and remember what the person's talking about and almost like self-journal for that individual. And what, that's one of the things that I've shared with OpenAI that I would like to have the capability is to have an API where I can send back information that I extract from the conversation that I want uh, OpenAI to pay particular attention to. And so I'd send back a JSON string with different information that could be valuable about that conversation and have it stored in a NoSQL database and and GPT-3 uh, parse the non-structured data and, and learn it. And so it becomes this feedback loop or cybernetic loop that uh, is lacking in GPT-3. Now you can do fine-tuning with GPT-3. You can, you can upload documents and you can have it run uh, different uh, epic cycles to, to train on it. And those are all, and so you 
it, it creates this layer of knowledge. And I was listening to a podcast on on uh, storytelling, and in that they were talking about how they needed to have, create a new layer uh, so that they could have continuity or memory in the sequence. Because when you're telling a story or the human experience, they, it's based on on precedence. And so if you have these different reference points that relate to history, um, then you have more continuity in your story. And so it doesn't it doesn't uh, uh, turn into this kind of random branching uh, on your storyline, but that it's following somewhat a continuous line and uh, the, the story is being developed uh, as you, you go. Your characters are being developed, the story is being told, and the, the original facts are being sustained in that storyline. And so... Um, those were some interesting problems that they were faced with when uh, trying to apply uh, GPT-3 to storytelling. And so this professor from Georgia Tech was saying that that they had to create these uh, continuity layers or rule layers on top of the natural language processing, the text generative uh neural machinery. Okay, so uh, in a nutshell, I'm pretty positive about how we can use GPT-3 to answer questions. I feel like that it'll be the new type of, uh, of engine where, you know, you could have GPT-3 summarize, go out, read websites so like that you are interested in. You could give it a list of websites that you want to know information about, and then rather than spend, you know, a half hour or an hour or so studying that website, you could have GPT-3 uh, read the complete website and then give you a text summarization about what's important on it and then have question and answers. And those are the things I think are really important. I know I spend a lot of time uh, on Google refining questions, writing out questions to find the technical answers I'm looking for.